Well, happy Easter, everybody. Happy Resurrection Day. It is a pleasure to be able to celebrate this most glorious time of year as we normally just celebrate the resurrection year-round, but there's something special about this particular occasion, and uh, we're glad to have you with us, whether that is in person or whether you are joining us online, maybe in the classic service, the venue there, or maybe on our Moon campus, wherever you're taking it in. It's good to be together. We are actually kicking off a brand new sermon series that we're going to be in for a few weeks that is called Resurrected. And you say, well, why are we in this for a few weeks? I mean, this is Easter, and so it must be like this is the time when we celebrate the resurrection, so let's move on. But, but there's so much more to that. That's what we're saying, that Easter is just the beginning. It's just the beginning of what's going on in our own hearts, but it's just the beginning when it comes to resurrection also. And there's so much more to it, and I want to work to explain that to you as we make our way along. It's just a three-week series, and so if you get started today, you've just got part one, and there's a lot more to come, and so we'd encourage you to be back week by week as we make our way into this, and we see what comes next, and what's resurrected all about if it's not just about Jesus, if it's not just about his victory over the cross. We're going to see that as we move our way along, so please do come back. I wonder, has anyone ever told you to just get over it? To just get over it? Has that ever happened for you? That's what we're calling this message here today. I'm guessing that you've had that happen to you. In fact, one of the most vivid childhood memories I have is of an occasion when there were some of us, probably six or seven of us in the neighborhood, who were go-karting on the streets by the house. And uh, it was kind of an isolated street, and my dad was friends with the chief of police, so we thought, why not? And so we did, and we were going around, we were taking turns, and because there was just one go-kart, and, and my brother thought it was his turn, but the guy who was on the go-kart at the present time thought it was still his turn, but my brother was going to be sure that he let this guy know it's his turn, and he had to stop, so he jumped out in front of the go-kart and went, stop! But the guy in the go-kart couldn't, and so he took my brother out at the legs And my brother flipped up and over the go-kart and landed behind him. It was just a devastating thing to see and a devastating time for me because that meant that go-kart riding was over for that day. Well, that and I was terribly concerned for my brother too. Yeah, of course, yeah, there was that piece of it. So my brother's complaining about his legs, one in particular, and so my parents carry him into the house and they put him on the sofa and they do a bit of an examination. They say, you know what? You're going to be fine. Just some ice pack on your leg. You're going to be just fine. Well, a few hours later, my brother is still on the sofa and he's still complaining of all of the pain and they look again and they say, look, you're going to be fine. A few hours later, my brother is still complaining of all of the intense pain And they say, look, you're just going to have to deal with this. You're just going to have to get over it because you're fine. Two days later, my brother is still on the sofa. He won't get up because he says the pain is that intense. So my parents say, all right, fine, we'll take you to the doctor. Not because they thought the doctor was going to find anything, but so they could have somebody else who would tell him that he's fine. So they went to the doctor, and the doctor did his examination, and he came out, and he said to my brother, you're fine, except for the broken tibia. (laughs) He wasn't fine. (laughs) He had a broken leg. He wasn't going to just get over it. 
either. Now, I'm guessing that you've had people who've said to you, hey, just get over it. It might be a parent, might have been a child, it might have been a teacher, maybe a boss. And the truth is, sometimes there are things we just need to get over, right? I mean, you need to get over the fact that your March Madness bracket is busted at this point, right? In fact, it was busted after the first weekend, if yours was like me. There were so many different upsets. On this Easter weekend, you need to get over the fact that many chocolate bunnies are hollow. You don't have to like it, but you do have to get over it. You've got to get over the fact that uh, the new kids on the block are now just the old men on the street. You know what I'm talking about. You've got to get over the fact that extreme bell-bottoms are out, but mullets are in. <laughs> You've got to get over the fact that's just the way that it is. Now, as, the, as we think about getting over it, whatever the it might be, as we think about having to move ourselves in that sort of direction, the truth is, you probably don't like it. And the reason that we don't like it is because it's usually a circumstance where somebody is suggesting or just outright telling us that we need to change a point of view that we've had, we need to change maybe a belief that we have had, and transition it over to something else. And when somebody tells us we've got to change in that way, we usually rebel. And here's the crazy thing. Even if it's something where you know in your heart of hearts that it's something that you need to get over and move on with, we still resist. Sometimes it's out of pride. Sometimes it's out of just being stubborn. But the fact is, we don't like to be wrong, and we especially don't like to be told that we're wrong. And so getting over it is something that can be very, very difficult for us. And it's not just because of pride. It's not just because we can be stubborn. There are other reasons as well. Sometimes we have trouble getting over it because of something that's going on internal with us that might relate to fear, or it might relate to anxiety. Or it might relate to some sort of lack of confidence that we have in ourselves or in our ability. And that's what was going on for some people who were in this kind of trendy modern city in a place called Corinth, in a place called Greece. Long ago, this was exactly the circumstance that was going on there. These are people who believed that they had the world by the tail, but the fact is that the way that they were processing things, the difficulty they were having getting over some things was actually stealing their happiness. It was stealing their ability to find fulfillment and find contentment. And so this guy named Paul writes to them. He writes them a letter to help them to process their way through this because this was something that he'd made his way through also. And what he has to say is very, very helpful. And this letter that he wrote, we typically refer to as 1 Corinthians. And the place in the letter that we find this particular part, this particular topic is verse, or excuse me, chapter 15. And you might want to turn there and feel free to go ahead and do so. Or if you prefer to just kind of sit and let's just take this in together, that's fine also. We'll be putting the verses on the screen for you here today. Now, one of the issues of the day was, that was very much on their minds is the idea of contemporary philosophy and personal lifestyle and even the call that had been put out by Paul and others about a lifestyle related to this guy Jesus who'd been on the scene and and now Paul had been teaching about him, and what was that all about? Because they didn't all have all the information 
And this was actually stuff Paul himself had to process his way through. He had to process his way through personal lifestyle and, and belief in Jesus and contemporary philosophy and all the rest. So to have a guy who's actually been through it that can tell us about it, that's perfect. So there's a lot here he has to say. We're going to take a look at it as we consider this idea of getting over one notion and maybe replacing it with another. And I just want to encourage you, because of what we've already said, there's something internal to us that says, if you're going to tell me to try to get over something, I'm going to tune you out. I want to invite you to tune in. Just for the time that we have together. And if at the end you're like, yeah, I still want that tuned out, you go ahead and do it then. But I would invite you just for a moment to consider if there's anything going on that you might need to or want to get over. So here's where we get started. The first area has to do with belief over doubt. This letter was written to the people of the church there in Corinth, so you might expect that it would be laced with confidence and assurance, and it would be sort of a rally of like-minded people who are all marching in lockstep in a certain direction. But it doesn't take long to discover that that's not really who these people are at all. Within the church, there are people from a wide variety of different backgrounds. There were people who had been in the church a little while now since Paul got it started just a few years back. They were believers in Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. And they'd been maturing their way along the way. There were other people who were present who were also, they would have called themselves for sure believers in Jesus, but they weren't quite so far along. They were newer into their faith and there was still so much that they needed to learn and they knew that they needed to learn it. And there are a number of other people who were there who were just checking it out. They didn't have faith yet. They wouldn't have called themselves followers of Jesus. But they were curious. They wanted to learn more. And Paul is writing with all these different groups of people in mind. And this is interesting to me because Pathway Church is also a collection of people who are very much like that church there in Corinth. We've got people at all points along those spectrums as well. Some who've been in the church a long time or maybe a shorter time, but they're mature in their faith. Others who are, are just kind of new to the game. Yes, they've put their faith in Christ, but they've got a long way to go, and they know it, and they'd acknowledge it. And people in between those two groups, as well as others who are curious, that might be you. You're checking it out. You're seeing what it's all about. You're not sure if you buy all this stuff or not. But you're interested enough to be here, to be listening. Actually, that's one of the reasons that we chose the name Pathway Church for our church is because there are people who are at all points along that spectrum. We're all on the pathway, but the fact is none of us have arrived. If anybody ever tries to tell you that they've arrived in their Christian life, they've, they've achieved the pinnacle of maturity, tell them you're wrong. Because none of us have. But here's the thing that is true about us. We're all on the way. I can say, I am on the way. From where I am to a point forward, I trust. And I hope that you're on that journey as well. We're trying to take it together on the way to discovering more about ourselves to discovering more about Jesus. So, what does Paul have to say to them? 
these people that he's concerned about, these people who have things in common with him that we have in common with as well. Let's take a look. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this about them. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. What Paul is doing is he's just acknowledging the breadth of people that we were just talking about. He says, there's some of you, yeah, you've, you've embraced the truth, and on that you've taken your stand. He says, there are others of you, you're not so much in the game. Now, you're saying you're in the game, you talk a good game, but you're really not in. You're using it really more as a crutch because you like what you think it says about you, that it's a situation where it says about you that you're righteous or that you have this confidence or this eternal life with God in heaven one day and that you're secure in that. And he says, really, but you're just talking more of a game. What he talks about them is he says, you're believing in vain. I find that so very sobering to do our own examination. These are people who are saying, I believe, but he says, you're believing in vain. He's saying there's nothing genuine about what you're doing. He says it's convenient, but you're not committed. And he calls them to taking a step forward. But what results, if that's the step that you're walking in, is this doubt. That we find ourselves in doubt. Oh, we might put on a real bold front. We might look super confident that people around you might think, well, there's no way that he's struggling with anything. But if you do that self-examination, if you really look deep down what you find there is doubt. It starts to shake you a little bit at your core, and that may very well be where you find yourself. You're, you're reeling a little bit in this doubt, but you're afraid to let it surface because of what it might ultimately be saying about you. What we need to do is get over it. We need to get over the doubt, and the way that we get over the doubt is through belief. That's what he's calling us to. Now, now, what is this gospel? What is this thing that we're supposed to believe in the first place? Well, Paul tries to make it as simple and plain as possible, and he does a pretty good job of that here in verse 3 and 4. If you look at it, it says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Death, burial, and resurrection. Happy Easter, everybody! I mean, that's it. That's what this is about. That's the gospel. Gospel can just be translated good news. And that is good news. And this is the essence of the Christian message. And this is so important to understand because we live in a culture that holds an ever-increasing belief that being a believer in Jesus is about being a part of a narrow-minded religion with rituals and legalistic people and moralistic people. And that's all really the more that there is to it. And that's really the, the, the concept, the belief that is held out there in so many circles. And it could be that there have been some people from inside the church who have done things that have fueled that sort of perspective. But that's not what it's about. Not at all. We need to work hard that we, hard that we would turn that table on what that belief system is in our world about who believers in Jesus are because it's about bringing together. It's about being fueled by love. That's what Jesus has done, and He demonstrated that love by going to the cross and dying so that we might have life 
being buried, rising again to help us to know that He's got victory over the death. And all different, all those three different pieces of this gospel, of this good news, are vitally important. It's vitally important that we would understand that, that Jesus did die on the cross, and the reason that He did was because of your sin and because of mine, because it left us in a place where we deserved our own spiritual death, but He stepped in, took it out of the way so that we might have hope, so that we might have life. The burial is also important. Sometimes people just sort of jettison that, and we just talk about, yeah, well, there was His death and His resurrection, which is awesome, but it's not the whole story. It's important that we keep that in there. Why is that so important? Paul says it's all three. What difference does that one make? Well, it makes a difference because it demonstrates, his burial demonstrates that he was dead. That he was very dead. There are some people who suggest, well, Jesus, they brought him down from the cross a little bit too soon, and then he was passed out for sure, but when they put him in the cold tomb, all of a sudden he came back to himself. Yeah, no. Because you don't take someone who's alive and and anoint their body with spices and wrap them up like a mummy and then stick them in a tomb and, and seal it over. That alone would kill a person. No, Jesus was dead and spent those days in that tomb, which leads to the last of those three pieces of the gospel, which is that He rose again victoriously from the dead, indicating the fact that He had the power over death itself, which is important not just so He could live, but so you and I can lie, live because otherwise we would have the sentence of death upon us. Some people say that these events didn't really just happen, but they're made up by Christians because they just make a nice story. But this is so much more than a story. These are real events that happened in a time and in a place and with real people. Some people say, well, no, that's just what the Bible has to say about it. It's Bible writing its own fantasy. But it's not fantasy, it's history. And if you don't like what the Bible has to say about it, go somewhere else to look. Because the biblical day was, was, a, was, was comprised of a few different cultures intertwining. There were the Greeks, and there were the Romans, and there were the Jews. Actually, all of them had things against Jesus. But if you might be tempted to think, well, what's happening is that a certain group wrote a history, and they were just too favorable toward Jesus. And if, if that's where you come down on it, then read the history written by the others. And you'll see that those accounts line up rather well because they're all just recording history. They're all just saying, this is what happened. Nobody's making anything up. So important to understand. It changes everything and it gives us what we need to find belief over doubt. That's where it starts. Second step of action we can take to get over it is to embrace eyewitness over I wonder. I witness over, I wonder. The truth is that the disciples were crushed when Jesus died. These are men who had left their homes, they'd left their livelihoods, they'd left their families to go and follow after Jesus and to serve alongside of Him. They thought, this is the real deal. He's worth giving our life for. And then He died. There was so much buildup now they're left so empty. It would have been such a letdown. There are all kinds of things that let us down in life, aren't there? If you ever drive through the upper Midwest, 
you're sure to see signs for a place called Waldrug. Any of you ever been to Waldrug? Okay, a few of you have been to Waldrug. All right, so Waldrug is this little attraction in a place called Wall, South Dakota. But for hundreds and hundreds of miles before you get there, you start to see road signs. I mean, up to like 500 miles away, it says, look for Wall Drug. Look for Wall Drug. Here are just a few of them, 291, 201, 150 miles. There are people who, because of this, they live in like Paris and Rome and Amsterdam, and they've made their own homemade signs that say, this many miles to Wall Drug. All right, so with all of the buildup, with all of the hype, with all of the money spent on advertising on billboards, you would think that the place would be pretty spectacular. And you would be wrong. You would be so very, very wrong. In fact, our family was, we were with Carolyn's family and we were traveling along. We weren't too far away, so we decided, yeah, we'll, we'll follow what the billboard calls us to do. We'll go and we'll check it out. Actually, the highlight for us as a family, was getting our pictures taken on this jackalope. And if I could have found the picture of me sitting on this jackalope, I would not have shown it to you. No, <laughs> I wouldn't have done that. But uh, it was actually quite a letdown after all of the buildup for what it was, and, and that's actually what's going on here with the disciples. It's like, Jesus, we thought you were the one. We thought that you were the Messiah who had come. We thought that you were going to accomplish all of this, and now you died. What's that all about? They were very much disillusioned by the whole thing, no doubt about it. There would have been a lot of, I wonder, going on. I wonder what happened as they processed it on their own or as they talked and had conversation with one another. I wonder what happened. I wonder what we got wrong. I wonder why he died. I wonder why he told us all these things and now it's not really happening like we thought that it was going to be. But all of that changed. And it changed three days later, not just because the tomb was empty. It changed because they started to get the answers to their questions when Jesus started appearing to them. Just think how weird that would have been. He's just been buried, and now it is here three days later, and in some cases a little bit beyond that, and he starts appearing to them. That would have been weird. There was an occasion a number of years ago where I did a funeral for a guy who was a part of the church, and, and I knew him pretty well, but I really didn't know much about his family, his extended family, anything like that. But he passed away, and so I sat down with his wife, and we talked about the service, and we made plans for it. And the next day, I went to the funeral home just for part of the visitation, and I, and I walk there, and somebody opens the door, and I'm greeted at the door. <laughs> I'm greeted at the door by the deceased man, identical twin. I didn't know he had a twin brother. <laughs> it was one of the strangest encounters of my life to walk in and think, oh my goodness, what, what do you think? Now, it only happened for a few moments, and, and then we started to figure the whole thing out. But it was really strange, and that's what it would have been like here. Only these disciples aren't seeing a twin. They're seeing the real deal. They're seeing Jesus himself. Verse 5 talks about it. He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. 
This is an interesting progression. Starts with Peter. I think there was grace on Jesus' part that, that Jesus had just failed him so greatly with all the denials. And, and so one of his first appearances is just to Peter, essentially to say, I know you love me. Then to the 12, then to more than 500, it says here in the text, at the same time. There's some who say that Jesus' disciples wanted him back so badly that they hallucinated seeing him. And even if you could make the case that that happened for a couple of them, certainly 500 people would not hallucinate the same thing all at the same time. They saw him because he was actually there, alive and in the flesh. And as Paul writes, he adds that most of those people are still alive. What difference does that make? Why give us that piece of the story? Well, it's important because that meant that they were eyewitnesses, many of them. That's important because Paul couldn't just write anything he wanted. He couldn't just make this up and all of a sudden, let's stick it in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 15. It would have been completely discredited if it hadn't actually happened because there were some people there who could have said, no, you're wrong because I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. They accepted what Paul had to say because what Paul said actually happened. And just like they could accept it on the testimony of these eyewitnesses, we can do exactly the same thing. We can have the eyewitness over the, I wonder, can take that doubt out of the way. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last he appeared to me also. This is Paul, as to one abnormally born. That just is talking about his spiritual birth. When Jesus appeared to him on the, on the road, blinding light, all of that, if you're familiar with the story. But he talks, first of all, about James. This is the half-brother of Jesus. He was not a follower of Jesus before the resurrection. <laughs> and I get that. You get that, too, if you've got a brother. You never believe your brother was God. Maybe some other things, but not God. But after the resurrection things change. James sees Jesus alive, and he recognizes all those things that Jesus had been saying, all those things that he'd been teaching. They were absolutely true. And so he gets over his previous doubt. He gets over whatever it was that was holding him back, and he puts his faith in his half-brother. He ends up becoming a leader in the church in Jerusalem. He ends up writing a letter in the New Testament that we call by his name. Being an eyewitness helps them get over their, I wonder. Which side of that equation would you be on? Is it more about, I wonder, I wonder? Or might we be able to, to take the testimony of what we see here and allow it to work in us? And that leads us to one final piece to get over, and that is victory over the past. Look what Paul says as he goes on in verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul's a guy who had a bit of a shady past, at least when it came to Christianity. He hated Christians. He hated Christ. He worked to persecute them. He oversaw the, sto the stoning of Stephen. But then he finally allows himself to get over these preconceived notions that he had, 
this antagonistic spirit toward Jesus. And he gets over his past. So verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. By the grace of God, Paul's past did not become his future. Now, don't get me wrong. He was an enormously successful guy in what he was doing before Christ. He's a guy who had power, position, respect among his peers, but he realizes that when it came to that which really mattered, he had nothing. That's Paul's testimony. It was also Carson's testimony that you heard earlier on the video. So many things to look on, to rest in, to hope in, accolades from people, success, all of that. But Paul and Carson came to recognize that that's really not where it's found. That there's something else. Regardless of how successful we might be in one realm, if we're not successful in following Christ, then we're trapped. Just as Paul's past did not have control on his future, yours doesn't either. Whatever your past holds, grace is available. That is such good news. Let me say it again. Whatever your past holds, grace is available. You can find Jesus in the midst of it all. You don't have to backpedal. You don't have to work real hard for a while to get to the point where at least I'm at the level now where Jesus will listen to me. Start where you are. If this is not something that you've ever done, I want to invite you to take that step to find the victory over your past, whether it's a past that was antagonistic like Paul's, whether it's a past you regret, whether it's a past that has just devastating sin in it. You can start where you are, turn your faith and your life to Christ. And I invite you to do so. How do you do that? It's just a matter of acknowledging before the Lord the gospel. Do you believe the gospel? What's that? Paul told us. Jesus died to take our sin out of the way. He was buried and he rose again in victory. We confess that truth with our heart. We confess our sin to God and seek his forgiveness. It doesn't make us perfect, but it does make us forgiven. And that's all that's required. And I want to invite you into that. So if you'd please... Bow your heads with me. This is just a matter of talking to God and telling Him your heart, where you are, what it is that you desire. You might say and pray something like this, dear God, thank you for your love for me that is so abundant that is so beautifully provided, that accomplishes all that it is that I need. Lord, I recognize 
that I've been stubborn in my own spirit and my, in my own heart. I recognize that there's some things I just need to get over. Maybe it's something I've been holding on to a long time because some, some church hurt you. Because some pastor hurt you. Some leader hurt you. Some spouse hurt you. Some circumstance hurt you. So you've been holding on to it and it's been the thing that's been providing you with an excuse to pass by whatever it is that you needed to pass by. But today, the Spirit of God is working in your heart in such a way that you're ready to get over it. To set it aside because you know it's keeping you from the most important things. The happiness, the purpose, the fulfillment that you've been missing. So today you're ready to say, I'm going to overcome through the blood of Christ, through his victory on the cross, and I'm going to let it go so that I might be able to be filled up with you, Jesus, with your spirit. If you've never taken the step of turning your life to Christ, you could just pray a prayer like this, dear God, Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again. I confess my sin and I ask for your forgiveness that you offer to me that is accomplished through what Jesus did. I put my hope and my trust in you. Now, in this moment, in this time, in this place, once and for all. Friend, if that's your prayer, if that's your heart, it's done, it's accomplished, it's set, it's sealed, it's, it's finished. You can rejoice in that. We want to rejoice with you. If you did, just pray that right now. Would you tell us? Just to encourage us. Maybe we can encourage you. If you'd write on that Connect card, if you're here in person, if you would just write on that card, Jesus, will know. And if you'd like to talk to somebody, maybe more personally, more about this, or more about how to, to move forward from where you are, just take and circle that word, Jesus. And we'll be in touch. If you're listening online today, we'd encourage you to reach out to us as well. Right there on the screen, if you're watching off the website, you can scroll down. You, there's a connect card there. You can fill out and do the same thing. Just write Jesus. You might just add, please contact. And we'll be in touch. Or we'll be praying for you. We'll be asking that God will do in you what only he can do. Our Father, we thank you so much for your goodness in sending Jesus so that we might have a reason to have victory over sin, but that we might have a reason to rejoice, that rejoicing coming in the victory that has been won by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, over sin, over death, over the cross. We celebrate and we rejoice in it. In the name of Jesus, our victorious King and Lord, and all God's people said, Amen.